You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Well, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to our Good Friday service. Tonight, what we want to do is we want to direct our hearts in a very specific direction, and that is toward the cross of Jesus Christ which is not only the very center of human history, but we have found is the very source of life and freedom. And in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at what may seem like an unlikely Good Friday passage, Psalm 103. Uh, But this is a psalm that actually highlights the work of Jesus both really powerfully and poetically. And it's what's known as a psalm of messianic expectation, which is just a fancy way of saying that it's a psalm that prophetically speaks about the work of Jesus Christ before his life, death, and resurrection. And the psalm begins by recalling all of the benefits and blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do tonight, is to recall all that God has offered us through Jesus Christ and uh, in order to do that, I'm joined with our teaching elders, Matt and David. And so I want to just turn it over to them. David, what are those benefits that we see highlighted here in Psalm 103? Yeah, really the benefits themselves are captured in uh, verses 3 to 5. And there are four of them. There's forgiveness, healing, redemption, and satisfaction. And really, verses 3 through 5 detail these benefits with a series of who statements. And I think that's important for us to recognize is that they're not just a list of benefits, but it's, it's it, David is being clear to say that these are coming from someone in particular, and that's stressing that the benefits can't be bifurcated, or they can't be separated from the giver of those benefits. And to know the giver, we look up to verse 2 in the, in the passage, and we see that it's the Lord, or in, you know, if you look at your version, right, it's Lord in all caps. So it is actually Yahweh, like David's calling upon the covenant name of God for these particular benefits. These benefits come from the covenant God of Israel. Um, So on the firm foundation of God, can David and David's original audience, and so can we now have confidence that these benefits are not just like figments of our imaginations, but they're real promises from God that come that come to us, his people. So they're, they're as sure as God is sure. So the first benefit David calls our attention to is forgiveness. Um, and that comes in verse 3, who forgives all our iniquity. It says, so since the fall, humanity, right, we've been lost in sin and longing for a path of pardon, a path to forgiveness. And Yahweh promises to bring this forgiveness to us. Secondly, David invokes the benefit of healing. Uh, in verse 3, the second half of verse 3, who heals all of our disease, diseases. Sin has broken God's creation in an epic way, right? This isn't just a small thing. It's a very large thing. And in, in a very true sense, creation and humanity as a part of it, the whole of creation is really groaning and longing for healing. Uh, and so Yahweh is promising to bring healing not only for sin, which is paramount, right? We understand that that's like the big problem that we have, but also the healing of all of creation. So a healing that is so pervasive that even into eternity, there will be no tears, right? That really lasting, true uh, healing. And then third, David reminds us that redemption 
is coming, right? That redemption is coming. In verse 4, he says, who redeems our, your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So David is acknowledging again that we have this very real problem, right, for which we need help, right? We are a needy people, that we are in the pit, right? We, are, we have a problem. We're in an inescapable darkness of our own sin, but that redemption is, is coming, and redemption is coming because Yahweh is a God that is full of steadfast love and mercy. He's full of love and shown most clearly in his forgiveness. He's able not just to give us what we deserve, which is punishment, but he's able to give us his redemption and mercy um, through his plan of salvation, which we'll talk about in, in a minute through the cross. Then fourth, and finally, David calls us to the benefit of satisfaction. So in verse 5, he says, Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So above and beyond the forgiveness, the healing, and the redemption that comes through us through Jesus Christ, Yahweh has promised grace. So on top of all of that, on top of all of these benefits, he goes above and beyond even that uh, to bring us what we don't deserve. To namely good and renewal, right? He's not only going to do all these good things for us, but he's going to go above and beyond that and give us more good and full renewal of all that we, that we are. So these are the four benefits of, or promises that were given in this passage. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, satisfaction. For Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is sure, and these benefits are his, and he gives them to us, so he, they are sure as well. That's good. Okay, so the benefits are, are really clear, and, you know, who doesn't long for forgiveness and healing and satisfaction for their soul? But I see a potential problem as we're looking at this psalm because the psalm in one breath talks about God being holy and just and righteous. And we're reminded that God is the great lawgiver who gave the law to Moses. And so God's requirements for our obedience has is abundantly clear. What he requires of humanity is really, really clear. And yet, in another sense, in another breath, it talks about the mercy and the grace of God, that he is compassionate, that he understands our frailty, we're weak, we're dust. And so the, I could see if we're in that position, thank goodness that we're not God, but the human dilemma would be choosing between justice and mercy. And, and we really find ourselves in that, that place where we have to e either compromise justice or mercy. To be just, we have to compromise mercy. To be merciful, we have to compromise justice. Uh, but again, thanks be to God, God is not human and not us. So the question is, how does God offer us, sinful men and women, these gracious, beautiful benefits while at the same time remaining just and righteous and upholding what is right? In other words, how does he do right by us and do right by himself at the same time? Yeah, I think that that's really the, the significant, mysterious problem of the Old Testament, right? Is that we have these promises that God is giving to his people, and yet he's, he's putting those promises next to the very real problems that we have of receiving them, right? Sin, the biggest problem. So the question is, how is God going to solve the problem, right? Because we certainly have not been able to figure out a way to solve this problem of how do we get beyond our sin? Like, how do we make ourselves right with God? So, I think this being a, 
solve the messianic expectation, the sense is that David is drawing us toward what's going to happen in the future that's going to solve these problems, that's going to bring us these benefits, even though we are sinful humanity. And the onus of the bringing and the onus of the giving, the onus of solving the problem is going to be on God himself and on his brilliant wisdom that goes beyond what we, what we can have. And so these benefits that are bestowed upon us, they are bestowed upon us from the Father, through the Son, and they're sealed by the Spirit, right? And namely, they come through the cross of Jesus Christ, where he comes, Jesus comes to deal with our largest problem of sin, and then is going to satisfy the just wrath of God, right? So God's benefits come through Jesus' work on the cross. It's Jesus' sacrifice that brings his righteousness to us, right? So we're not right with God, and it's Jesus' righteousness that then given to us, a, a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves that's given to us, that makes us right with God. But then, right, you have this issue, like, what about the justice of God? Because the just wrath of God is against sin, and it is Jesus' work on the cross that brings lasting healing and that it satisfies the just wrath of God against our sin, bringing in his justice and ultimately bringing about the perfect plan of a just kingdom in, in the future. So justice for all who are oppressed, as it says in, in, verse, in verse 6. But then his benefits come through us through Christ, and they're sealed by the Spirit because this is who he is. So when we, whenever the, the Bible talks about these benefits coming to us, they always come to us on the character of God himself, right? So the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So not only are these things coming to us, but they're coming to us because this is who God is, and so they're right and they're, they're in tune with his, his character. And it is his nature to be merciful to the sinner, gracious to the hurting, and loving to his people. And I think this is the part of what makes the cross such a powerful portrait of the character of God. It's God saying so profoundly that he loves us so much that he's willing to lay it all on the line to bring us his own righteousness justly with an abundance of grace and mercy. Yeah, I think one thing that's really important in that section too is that you were just pointing out is verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What he's doing is, is the psalmist is invoking God's Old Testament name as you laid out at the beginning, like what, what God declares before Moses in Exodus, who he is, the sum total of his being. Um, but we know in Exodus, he finishes that with who will by no means clear the guilty. But here in verse 9, we see that he will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. So it's, it's building in that tension of expectation of how is God going to not always keep his anger forever. And so now with us, we can look back and know that that was taken out in, on the cross in Christ, and that has cleared us uh, to, to be able to enter into this relationship with him. Um, and so I think that that's like a very important tension that you just uh, uh, pointed out as well. And so to, to maybe uh, sum up, Jesus is the answer to the dilemma. Jesus is the answer to the, to the quote-unquote problem and he satisfies the the justice of God and he he meets the righteous requirements of God and he absorbs the anger of God that we deserve and then 
he expresses the love and, 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 and issues the, the grace and mercy that we do not deserve. And this all comes through the cross. The cross is at the center of this conversation. John Stott said that the biblical gospel of atonement is of God satisfying himself by substituting himself. Sin is us putting ourselves in the place of God. Salvation is God placing himself in the place of sinners. And so these are, these are amazing truths. Obviously, like even as we're talking, I feel my heart being, being stirred. But what can, what can end up happening is these become just theological ideas, right? Um, the, these ideas that sort of bounce around in our minds rather than being the, the source of life in our hearts. And so, Matt, I want to ask you, what, how are these beautiful truths experienced? How are these benefits experienced in the everyday Christian life? Yeah, so to kind of look at that, we'll, we'll move forward in our text into the next section, verses 10 through 14. Um, but I'm going to jump first to verse 14 because I feel like that is the, the lens by which we can enter into the experience um, verses, found in verses 10 through 13. So in verse 14, uh, the psalmist writes, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And any sort of um, arrogance we might have is going to be crushed when we realize that we're dust. When, when we come to the uh, understanding that we are just created beings and, and we have been created from the dust and to the dust we shall return. Um, so so there, there brings about a huge humility in that regard when we, when we acknowledge that we're dust. But even further, when we acknowledge that the God of glory took on our dustiness in Jesus Christ so that he could make us like him, make a, turn us into his glorious image, um, it creates a depth of humility that we can then look back and experience the benefits of the cross. And so moving back to verse 10 and 11, we see his immeasurable love for us. We, we can experience the, the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of his love for us in Christ uh, because he does not deal with us according to our sins. And it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far as his, so great is his love, his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And so his love for us is immeasurable, and we can experience that through the humility of the cross. Um, we, th we then can move into verse 12, and we read, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so th this is a continual cleansing. Verses 10 through 12 is not really dealing with our once and for all justification necessarily, but, but an ongoing uh, cleansing of God for us. And so we experience this. Uh, in this local body, when we come together and we confess and repent weekly, and we, we do this often in our own homes, this is part of the rhythm of a Christian life. Um, and so it's that continual cleansing. Paul, Paul lays out for us in Ephesians 5 that a, a good husband is, is cleansing his wife with the water of the word. And so Christ, our true bridegroom, is cleansing us continually, removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, reminding us of the immeasurable love that he has for us, um, a love that keeps no record of wrong. That's what perfect love does. And so that moves us then into verse 14, or excuse me, th verse 13, where we see God's father heart toward us. We can experience his father heart as we have been adopted into his family through Christ. We have been adopted into his kingdom. His paternal heart toward us is now on full display as he shows compassion toward us. Because it was his loving kindness that led us to repentance in the first place. And so when, when the psalmist writes, those who fear him, twice in this section, 
it, it's not sort of a, a dutiful, like we fear him in order to get his compassion, but instead it's his loving kindness that led us to fear him in the first place that allows us to experience his compassion, his fatherly compassion for us. And so all of this comes through the humility of acknowledging that we are created beings, dust, yet God took on our dusty form so that he can make us into himself. And really, if the cross is the source of these benefits, then faith is the way that we access them. Faith and repentance. And faith and repentance is a call not just to the unbeliever, but to the believer. As Martin Luther said, the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. And so for those who are listening, and for us as well, whether this is the first time you're hearing the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ, or the hundredth time, whether it's your first Good Friday or your 20th Good Friday, really the, the call to us as believers is repentance and faith, turning in trust toward God to receive all that he has given us, believing that Christ is the source of forgiveness, of healing, of satisfaction, and of life. There are two things I want to note just about the conclusion of this psalm. The first is the everlasting love of God in verse 17. And it's really easy to get caught up in a conversation about sin and justification and some of these more, you know, highbrow Christian terms and forget that at the heart of the cross is God's never-ending love for his people. The cross is the highest, greatest expression uh, of God's love for us. And, And many of us can walk through life uncertain about how God feels about us, especially based on how we have acted. If we're having a bad day, if we're having a bad week, if we're having a bad year or season of the Christian life, it's really easy to imagine that God's feeling bad about us as well. That if I'm not loving him like he, he deserves, then he's not loving us as well. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, the psalmist reminds us that the love of God is everlasting. It's never-ending. It's always and forever. Not only does it not have an end, but think about this. It never had a beginning if it's everlasting. As one theologian put it, the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in the fact that he never began. Think about that thought. There was never a moment where he just began to love you. thought, I should love so-and-so today. Never-ending, everlasting. The cross is the display of that. And the second thing we see in the conclusion is in verse 20, and it's the establishing of God's throne. Um, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And it can be kind of confusing if we think about the, the establishment of God's throne and his glory, and then we look at the cross, because that doesn't look very regal, and it doesn't look very uh, powerful. Um, But in John's gospel, Jesus refers to his own death as the son of God being lifted up in glory. Now think about that. Lifted up in glory and triumph on a criminal's cross, on a Roman cross. And what we find in the gospel is that it's on the cross that Jesus is exalted as the king. What, what that means is when, the, uh, when this psalm is talking about the establishing of heaven's throne, I believe it's anticipating the cross. And the cross is the throne um, that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over the world 
from. This is where we see the power of God on full display and his loving rule and reign over our lives, his reign, our reward through the bloody cross. And so for that reason, we bless him. For that reason, it says to bless him, not only just to bless him, but bless him with everything we've got, the psalm begins with. And the reason we bless him with everything that we've got is because he's blessed us with everything that he's got. He's given us his life. He's given us his blood so that we could receive life and we could receive cleansing and and freedom. And so as a way of remembering and cherishing these these benefits, we want to welcome the the church to experience uh, the Lord's Supper together tonight. Um, We have encouraged you to gather bread and juice earlier this week or bread and wine. Now, what I want to mention, admittedly, is this is not the normal way that we would partake and receive communion together. We, ha- we have to admit that. But the scriptures remind us uh, that we are bound together by something greater than our geography right now. We are unified. We are made one through Jesus Christ. We are bound together by the Spirit of God. And even more important. We have to remember, not only are we together, we are one, but Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is with his people tonight. And so pause right now uh, if you need to go gather those elements for communion. We'll give you just a second to do that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in the preaching, uh, the gospel has been heard. But it's when we come to the table that we experience the gospel embodied. As we receive the Lord's Supper, it's a portrayal of salvation. In a sense, it's a reenactment of sorts of what Christ has accomplished for us. And we, we come to the table broken this week, we come wounded, we come hurt, we come sin sick, and we come to receive God's gracious benefits extended to us once again. And so as we come to the table, remember that this is specifically for the believer, those who have repented of their sins, who have turned to Christ in faith, and are at peace with their brothers and sisters For those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, we'd like to ask that you would not partake and would not participate in this rhythm. And and, and instead, you would consider these things that we have mentioned, consider the scriptures, and put your faith in Christ. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ not only did this in history, but did this for you. And so as Jesus extends his benefits of grace to us once again tonight, we remember that this is a meal in the wilderness. And as God provided manna for the children of Israel, God is providing his sustaining grace for us in our wilderness moment as well. And so receive 
these words now. Christ's body given for you and Christ's blood shed for you. God bless you.